0: You know open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We'll start in Matthew 19, then we'll be uh, bouncing really all over the book of Matthew. So uh, it's a good place to start and kind of hold a spot there, Matthew chapter 19. And I'm just going to get right into it this morning. I'm going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. A few weeks ago, we kicked off our series here. All in by looking at this passage. We started, uh, we started looking here and considering what these words would mean for us and, and, and looking at the life of this guy known as the rich young ruler. And we, we, we asked the question, what is it that you are holding on to right now in 2020 as it gets started? This was the first Sunday of the year. And we said, what is it that's keeping you from being all in? What is it that God is calling you to lay down? What is it that God is calling you to to, to look at? But you you just can't seem to let it go. And, And instead of letting that thing go, you hang on to your pride, your flesh, your ego, your stubbornness, your sin. All of that kind of takes hold and you don't obey. And instead of following Christ and what He has called you to lay down... You walk away sad. That's how we began 2020. So my question to you this morning would be, what is it that has caused you already in the month of January, just a few weeks in, to walk away sad, to walk away sorrowful? Now, maybe that's not exactly how you looked at it. Maybe it wasn't quite as clear as Hey, here's this thing right in front of me. I know Jesus is calling me to take hold of that, to lay this thing down, but I just can't. And now that makes me sorrowful. Maybe it's something just much more subtle than that. And just over the course of the weeks, whatever resolve you may have had at the beginning of the year, whatever sin you may have been convicted of at the beginning of the year, you instead have just kind of found yourself already one month in saying, oh yeah, I'm right back there. I forgot about this thing. Life got to me with this thing. I got back in old habits with this thing. I stopped being intentional about this thing. And you find yourself right back, right back in that same place, tucked away in the sadness and the sorrow of this rich young ruler, and perhaps even in your own heart, even though you may not see it. Tucked away is a heart that believes in something and that has chosen something. You see, every time that we take hold of something other than what God has called us to, we do so because we believe in that moment, maybe not how we would verbally say it, not even mentally how we would look at it, but with our hearts, what we are saying is in that moment, we believe that thing to be better than what God has called us to. We choose that thing over Jesus because in that moment, that's the thing that we want the most. Now Paul goes on in Romans 7 and he talks about the back and forth and how we do the thing we do not want to do and we don't do the thing that we do want to do and we know that we should do this and he describes this war that's going on in the flesh but he also acknowledges we willingly choose that thing in that moment. And that's what this rich young man did. Jesus asks him a series of questions, kind of lays some things out there for him. And he says, he says, you need to be able to keep the rules. And he says, I've kept the rules. But here's the thing is that just because you keep the rules doesn't mean that you're able to call yourself a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Because ultimately, Jesus is not looking for rule followers. For far too long in the church, the Christian church has considered following the rules to be kind of the standard of what it means to be a disciple. If you can follow the rules well, you can call yourself a good disciple. When we say here at Providence that we want to make, grow, and unleash disciples, we are not simply trying to create rule followers because that in and of itself, is not a disciple. You see, if it were, then Jesus would have gone around the Gospels and He would have been commending and celebrating the Pharisees. Because they were the ultimate rule followers. If you know your Bible, if you've read through the the Gospels, what you know is that at every turn, Jesus doesn't commend the Pharisees. At every turn, He condemns them. He comes, comes to them and He says that you guys have gotten it all wrong. You follow the rules well. You do a great job following the rules. But the rules are not there just to be followed. That's not the heart that Jesus is looking for. Jesus said these ultimate rule followers were not disciples. And in fact, what he said is that they were whitewashed tombs. That They were a brood of vipers. They were devils of hell. Rule followers are not disciples. Jesus made it clear whenever he looked at this guy, this rich young ruler, what he wanted, what he needed was for this guy to be all in. All chips on Jesus. No backup plan. No just in case. No, I've got Jesus so long as I can make certain things work in my life and I can still kind of hang on to this other stuff. Jesus said, no, you can't hang on to that other stuff. You've got to let it go. And that was his criteria for being a disciple. But here's the question that we run into very quickly, a very practical question. Because whenever I say you've got to be all in, I think what comes to our mind most of the time, what comes to my mind most of the time, even knowing this passage about the rich young ruler, What comes to my mind is, I know what it looks like to be all in. It looks like a rule follower. That's how you define being all in. You are a rule follower. You follow the rules better than anyone else. So this is a question that we run into very quickly. If we don't define following the rules as being all in, then how do we define being all in at all? Because the Pharisees sure looked like they were all in to me. They weren't just rule followers. They followed rules to make sure that they followed the rules. That was the way they set things up. They wanted to make sure they were, by any standard that you and I would have, all in. Because what they did was almost, it was to the point of being obsessive how hard they worked to try and keep the law. But Jesus looked at them and they said, you're not all in at all. You're not even close. In fact, you're the exact opposite of what I want in a disciple. So you say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that it just doesn't matter? We do whatever we want? What, what, do, do we just have to give away our money? That's what he's called this rich young ruler to. What does it look like to be all in? How do we define this? If you go throughout the book of Matthew, what you'll find is little, little hints and clues, little places where Jesus makes it kind of clear. He says, and, and, and he gives us a picture of what it means to be all in. And you don't define it by just following the rules. You define it in a few other ways. And so what I want to do this morning, you could pick out a lot of different passages out of the gospels. You could pick out a lot if you even stuck to the book of Matthew. But I want to look at three passages for us very quickly this morning. I want to look at three passages that will be kind of our framework for what it looks like to be all in, or in another way you want to say this, what it looks like to be a disciple. Three passages that will give us the framework for what it means to be a disciple. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 6 for me. So just flip back a few chapters if you got your Bible. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is in the middle here in Matthew chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. He's laying out the rules, if you will. He's going over the law and he's explaining why the Pharisees, in all their effort, in all of their diligence in trying to keep the law, they've completely missed the point. He's going over how despite their best external efforts, the Pharisees have missed the heart of the law, which is more about internal realities their external adherence may have been pristine but their internal in their internal realities were filthy and so Jesus lays out this new application to the law that had been missed by the Pharisees and, and he gives us guidance for what it looks like to be a disciple. And we could go all the way through and it would help us if we went all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, but we don't have time for that this morning. So I just want to focus in on one little passage here that I think gives us a good summary that you could kind of use as a jumping point for the rest of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus in the middle of this sermon says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus starts laying out this picture for what it looks like to be a disciple of his. He wants us to dial into where our hearts are. External obedience is good. He, 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 doesn't, he, he never says that that is wrong to be externally obedient. That is a good thing. But what he wants to drive at is where does that obedience come from? What is the, what is the driving force for following him and for wanting to follow the law? And not only that, what's the driving force that separates just a simple checking of a box to something that flows from within you that, that kind of comes from deep within? And so what he's telling us is that if you're going to be a disciple, far more important than what you look like on the outside is where your heart is on the inside. What do you long for? What do you treasure? What do you value? Where do you stockpile your treasures? The rich young ruler was clear. He valued this life far more than any promise of the next. He could not fathom, he could not picture a life in which he willingly gave up things here in order to take hold of things there. This life was where he found his treasure. This moment is where he found his heart and where he put his heart. He was focused on the stockpiling of things for this world. And that is where he failed. A disciple is one that is all in, but he's not just one that's all in on this world. He's one who is all in on another world entirely. He's not one who is just all in on this temporary life. He is all in on a life to come. And the life to come is what he sees. A life to come is what she drives for, what she parents for, what she lives for, what, she, what she's a, a friend for, that, that all of these things that are temporary around here are things are things that are just that temporary but it's the next life it is the life that we look to is where we place our heart and ultimately what Jesus says where we place our treasure to be all in is to be all in on a life that is still to come and there are few things you can do that this world will look at you and think you are crazier than doing this when this world watches someone willingly put their treasures their their treasures somewhere else besides in this life when they see someone take hold of something more important than their job than their than their their money than their cars than their houses than their things that they have around them and they say this isn't that important this is this is such a fleeting moment I'm going to focus in and I'm going to live this life as though the life that I will be living for eternity is far more important than this one that is just a breath and then it's gone. This world will think you are nuts if you do that. They will think you crazy, foolish. They will think you a fanatic, not in a good kind of like Super Bowl fan kind of way, but in a like, that guy's crazy. What in the world is he doing? When you see the best this world has to offer, but you see it for what it is, just stuff that will be gone, that will end up in the junk pile, that will end up in the dump, that will end up falling apart. You you know what's crazy? Somebody's going to win this game today. And they're gonna get a, a ring that is nuts. Like it's funny. You go back and you look at like the old Super Bowl rings, and it's like class rings are nicer now. But the, the rings that they give away now are like encrusted in diamonds, and they're worth tens of thousands of dollars. They are over the top Super Bowl rings that they will get. And you know what you're gonna find? I. I would. Om- I didn't look at this up. Look this up last night, but I, I probably should. If you get you get past about ten years, fifteen years, you'll find those rings for sale somewhere. Not all of them, but you'll find one or two of those rings for sale some- on, on an auction. Somebody somebody will be willing to give up that ring so that they can make a little bit of money. Money that they'll spend on something else, and it will be gone. The stuff that this world sacrifices so much for. Whatever car you're driving right now, it's going to get destroyed and it's going to get put in a dump sooner or later. Whatever house you're living in, at some point, it's going to get knocked down and bulldozed over. The clothes you've got are going to get given away and thrown away. The stuff of this world will be gone. It is temporary. It is passing away. A disciple that's all in sees that. Sees it for what it is and says that my heart is not, not attached to those things. My identity is not attached to those things. I'm all in on another world. I'm all in on what's to come. I'm all in on something else. That's what it looks like, at least to begin with, to be all in. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is in the middle of telling a string of parables to his, uh, to his followers, to his his, uh, his guys that are behind him, his disciples that are listening to him. He's telling the string of parables to try to communicate what it means to, to follow him and to, uh, to, to be all in, really. He's telling a string of parables, and he's got one in there. It's, it's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's one verse, full parable, one verse. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's the whole parable. That's the whole thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now this little parable, we could look at it in a lot of different ways, but it it covers much of the same idea of what we just read about sacrificing things that you have now for something greater. It's about where we find our treasure, but it's not just about where we find our treasure. It's about more than that. We can underscore everything that we just said through this parable, but we can say more and it drives the point home just a little bit further. This parable is a story about a guy that's just walking around Beverly Hillbilly style. He finds something worth all kinds of money and he says, I don't care what it takes. I've got to have this piece of property because this piece of property has something in it that, that, is, that is worth far more than anyone else knows. Now you can imagine the ridicule, the scorn, the lectures he would have gotten from those that knew him and those that didn't. As he starts selling his car, his computer, his house, his dishes, his clothes, his furniture. He starts just selling them out, selling them off as fast as he can. He's not reluctantly putting these things out on Facebook. He is saying, here it is. Come get it. Give me some money. I got to get rid of this stuff. I need to make some money and I need to make it quick. And his sacrifice makes absolutely no sense to anyone because they don't know what he knows. They think he's lost his mind. And from the outside, that's exactly what it looks like, like he's lost his mind. But it only looks like that because they don't know all that he knows. And that's one of the points of this parable. This man finds this treasure and he knows something that no one else does. He is quick to sell all he has, an absolutely unreasonable thing as it looks to everyone else, but he is quick to sell it because he knows with absolute certainty that it is completely reasonable, that it is absolutely the right thing for him to do. It's the only course of action that makes sense. And, and if the others knew what he knew, they would agree. They would be on board. They would say, oh yeah, that's exactly what you should have been doing. I didn't see that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that part of the story. But they don't see that. And So what it looks like to them is that he is gone crazy. He is foolish. But he is so convinced of what he knows that he is more than willing to be completely unreasonable, to look like a complete fool. Furthermore, there's a word here that I think gets completely overlooked in this one verse parable. It says that this man went to sell everything he owned in order to to purchase this field, but he did so in full, complete, unhindered joy. He sold it all with joy. Do you see that? Have you just read over that word before? Have you seen that there? He sold it with joy. This just makes me smile to read it. This is not a tearful, regrettable, oh man, I hate to see it go. I really love that car. I really, I hate to see it go, man. That was, such a, that was such a great house. I mean, I hate to see it go. I, I worked so hard to get that computer, to get that cell phone, to get that whatever. Man, he's not sad to see any of it go because he knows what he's got coming back is worth far more. And so he has got full joy as he does this. This guy isn't like regrettably putting this on Facebook and saying, look, you got to give me full price for this because I don't really want to sell it in the first place. No, this guy is on Facebook Live and he's like, come and get it. Yard sell galore. He's promoting it. He's putting it out there. He is fired up to sell this stuff. He has joy in his heart because he knows and he is convinced of what's about to happen. This, too, is part of what it looks like to be a disciple that's all in. Friends, Christians that aren't full of joy are people that should question if they are really disciples at all. That is not a popular thing to say. But joy is a marker of a disciple. Now, we all show this differently. I'm not saying you got to come in here doing cartwheels and like going crazy and bouncing off the wall. Some people are smiley and outgoing. Others are reserved and measured. But the question still comes, is your life marked by a spirit of joy? Or do you spend your days comparing your life to others? Bitter that you don't have all the things that they have that are just going to be gone soon enough anyway. Comparing your treasure in this life to the others around you. Sad because you don't have as much. Do you spend your life looking to pick a fight with somebody? For whatever reason. Whether you call yourself some kind of a, a you know, a, a, a political watchdog and you're looking to, to, to fight some political fight with somebody. Or, or you consider yourself to be a, a, a theological, you know, you kind of kind of guardian. And you're looking to pick a a theological fight with somebody. Or maybe you're just looking to pick a fight with your wife. Maybe you're just looking for your kids to to mess up so that you can get on them and you can tell them how, how much they mess up all the time. Do your kids think that you're marked by joy? Does your spouse think that you're marked by joy? That is a mark of a disciple. Build your relationships, the ones with your family, the ones with your friends, the the ones with an outside world that is watching. Build them with a spirit of joy and see if that doesn't make people kind of wonder what's going on with you. And furthermore and maybe more directly to the point of the parable when God when God calls you to forsake something to walk away from something to let something go to give something up whenever God calls you to do that Go back to the first Sunday of the year. What was that thing that you felt like God was convicting you of? What's that thing you've been thinking about for the last month or that God has brought to you and He has said, you've got to lay this down. You've got to give this up. You've got to be better about this. This is sin for you to continue in this direction doing this thing. Maybe it is how you treat your wife. Maybe it is how you treat your kids. And maybe it's a thousand other things. But what's that thing that God is calling you to give it up and to say, walk away from that? Whatever that is, he's not calling you to a place where you pout and you say, woe is me, God has taken all good things from me. God is taking all these things that I enjoy away from me. Woe is me. He may be calling you to sacrifice, but that sacrifice is a sacrifice towards joy. Why? Because you know, just like this guy, for absolute certain, you have faith that it is worth it. You have full faith that whatever God has called you to do, to let go of, you can do this and you can know that it is for your good, for your joy, and for His glory. I don't promise that it will be easy. I don't promise that it will be, it'll be simple. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been easy for this rich young ruler to give things up but man, the joy that comes with it because you know what's going to come back to you. That's the picture of this parable. I've got one more passage for us to look at that I think will even set things up in starker terms. Matthew chapter 16. A couple more chapters over. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus gives us one more picture of what it means to be all in. And this picture is not a pretty picture. We can get lost in the fam- familiarity of these words very, very quickly. But when Jesus says, take up your cross, the disciples that are, bo- that, are, that are listening to him know there is no other option. There's no other choice but to be all in at that point. You see, you can be halfway in when it comes to following the rules. You can be halfway in when it comes to to determining what you value and what you treasure. You you can do that. That's not what God's called you to, but you can still do that. Maybe you don't get completely hung up on what this world has to offer, but there are a few things that are still very enticing to you, and you're kind of halfway in, halfway out, trying to figure out where do I really put all my treasure, and where do I really put my heart? But when you take up your cross, you are all in. Why? Because to take up your cross means that you come and you die. And there is nothing, nothing in between. There's no straddling the fence and being all in, all out. You can't kind of take up your cross. When you take up your cross, as it says in the Gospel of Luke, daily... you daily die. Jesus knew what was coming for him. He knew the cross was close and he left no doubt for his followers. Jesus was going to die and they had to die too. But the beauty of this, what Jesus tells us is that in this dying, here we truly find life. That is the beauty of what it means to be all in for Jesus. Last Sunday, many folks were stunned to learn of the death of the recently retired NBA superstar, Kobe Bryant. I don't know how many of you guys follow athletics. I don't know how many of you guys have followed this story and have, have, have seen what was going on in there. I'm somebody very much interested in the sports world. I'm not a big NBA fan but very much interested in the sports world. And uh, I'm not here to tell you what I think about the, the, the legacy of Kobe Bryant, about whether he was a Christian. I, I'm not going to weigh in on any of that stuff because, frankly, I don't know. But I have watched tribute after tribute to him this week. And what has become apparent is the admiration that so many had for him. And the source of that admiration, where all of this comes from, is that even the best of the best looked up to him and said, he was on a different level His commitment level to to his craft to being a basketball player was on another level. He was relentless in his pursuit. So much so that even the best athletes in the world looked at him and said, that dude's crazy. That dude is absolutely crazy. He pursued everything with abandon. His intensity and his commitment was legendary. Today, February 2nd is 173 days away from the start of the 2020 Olympic Games. What I can promise you is that right now, as we speak, there are people on a track, in a pool, on a volleyball court, on a balance beam, that are pouring their hearts into their sport in hopes of winning a medal at those games. They have spent their entire lives preparing for that two weeks that's about to come this summer. They've cried, they've bled, they've pushed themselves to exhaustion. They've sacrificed their social lives, their family's lives, their own lives, and they've done it to stand on a podium and to be able to say they were an Olympian and they won a medal. And we will celebrate these people as they lay it all on the line for their shot at this medal. We will celebrate. We will be exhilarated. Many of us will cry as we watch and the national anthem begins to play and their tears begin to roll down their eyes and their families start to cry as they watch and they celebrate this moment of triumph. We will celebrate them and we are right to do so. They have earned the celebration. In just a few hours, the Super Bowl will kick off and the Chiefs and the 49ers will go at it and the whole world will watch to see who will be able to claim NFL supremacy. These men will throw their bodies into one another with absolute abandon. They will endure pain, suffering, exhaustion, sprains, breaks, and all kinds of other things. They will draw on years of practice and repetition and drills and running and endurance and all these things that they have spent their lives preparing for and it has prepared them for this singular moment. They will do so at great danger to themselves and to their competitors. And we will watch and we will be fans cheering on for our teams and for players that we love and we will celebrate and we will hail the victors for their achievement. In August, UT football will kick off their fall practice and they will begin a new new season. And many of us will look on with great anticipation to figure out how things are going to go. They will practice, they will drill, they will run, they will study in order to prepare their minds and their bodies for football games that we will be far too heavily invested in. And we will look and we will watch and we will celebrate and we will cheer And for each of these guys, as the season starts, they will run out of a locker room in Neyland Stadium and they will run out and they will smack a sign on their way out. And that sign says, I will give my all for Tennessee today. And each of us at Fans will fully expect nothing less from every one of those college kids. And if those college kids don't give their all for Tennessee as, they, as though they owed something to me as a Tennessee fan, if they don't give their all for Tennessee, we will, we will call them out. We will post, make social media posts about them. We will talk about the coaches and how the coaches aren't making sure that they get everything out of these players. We will demand it, and the coaches will demand it. I know these are all sports references that I'm describing, but there's a common thread here. These people, from Kobe Bryant, the Olympians, the Super Bowl, uh, competitors today, the college football players, the Tennessee Vols, these people are giving their lives toward the pursuit of an athletic achievement. And why do we celebrate the gold medal winning athlete? Why do we celebrate this NBA player's relentless mindset Why do we celebrate whenever a football player will give his all for his university? Why will we celebrate these winning Super Bowl teams today? Because deep down we know how hard it is to truly give our all. Because we know that most people don't do that. Because we know that we don't do that. Now, they're doing it for athletics. It's not to say you can't give your all for multiple things. But these guys are doing it for athletics. But what we know is that it's almost impossible to meet somebody who's truly all in on something. Almost all of us in here, we know that we are half-hearted people that pursue things at our own whim, at our own pace, when it's convenient to us. We do it in the name of this thing we call balance. And we say that what we want, we want to be, we want to be balanced people. I'm just trying to find this place of balance. You know, life has gotten crazy for me and I just can't find balance. This is, we talk, we talk this way, Right? You, you guys have said that. I've said that plenty of times. I, can't, I just can't seem to find balance. I, I, I'm, I'm too caught up in this other stuff, and I'm neglecting this other stuff. I just can't find any kind of balance. And we say things like that. And what we mean by that is that, that we don't want to go too crazy on one thing, too caught up in one thing. And we hedge our bets. We spread our eggs over many baskets, and we kind of halfway commit to all kinds of different things. But the older I get and the more I look at the words of Jesus, the more convinced I am that the idea of balance is both unbiblical and just an excuse for us to be mediocre. It's a cover-up to keep ourselves from looking unreasonable to a watching world. The idea of having balance is nothing more than an excuse for not going all in. For saving face and embarrassment. For going crazy over something. For easing our guilt over the nagging feeling that we should be doing more than we are. I want you to hear me carefully this morning. Don't be a balanced person. Don't seek balance in your life. but choose wisely on the things that you go all in for. As much as we will celebrate athletic achievement and gold medals, those things will one day turn to dust. Before the confetti is done falling tonight, if you watch ESPN, they will be talking about who they are picking to win it next year. Choose carefully the treasure you decide to be all in on. But don't walk away sad at the end of your life because you didn't go all in on Jesus. Hear what Jesus is saying to you this morning, unmistakable, clear as day. Come and die. Come and die. Come and die. And in that dying, truly live. That's not a call to balance. That is a call to being all in. Don't miss out on all that, has, that God has for your life in the name of being balanced and avoiding extremes. Be extreme, all in for Jesus. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if we're going to be out of our mind, if we're going to be crazy, let us be out of our mind for Christ. Come and die my heart in this series is that when we get to December 31st of 2020 that you would not walk away with sorrow as you consider what this year has been my heart is that as we go throughout this year that you would finally say i am all in That you would die to yourself, die to your own ideas, your own dreams, your own passions, your own agenda. And you would embrace the call to be a disciple and to go all in. And that years from now, you would look back on the year 2020 and you would say, that was it. That was the year that God showed me what it would look like if I truly was all in. And that's the year I found a joy that I've never known before. For some of you, that is the first moment of walking away from sin, of committing to Christ and saying, I want to be all in. I want to be a disciple. Maybe you've never made that commitment before. Today is the day to do that. Make this the moment. Make this the day. For others of you, it is a matter of saying, "I want to just follow through with what I have said before, when I've said, "Jesus is my king, Jesus is the one I want to follow," Then you look at them, you look at, you look at him and you look at what he's saying, and you look at what he's asking you to lay down and what he's calling to you, and you say, "You are my king, I'm all in. I've died to myself. How can I follow you? we're one month in. You got 11 more to go. Let's just go all in together with abandon. Let's look like fools. Let's be extreme. Let's throw balance away. And let's celebrate the Jesus that is our King and that we follow. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning the idea of going all in sounds like a great idea up until you say, okay, give up this, and then it's really hard. So Father, I, I confess this morning my own hesitancy to even, to even put my heart out there, to put my yes out there, because I am so afraid of what you will call me to, but Father, will you please show me in those moments what you've shown in this parable, that it is to joy that I get these I lay these things down. Father, I pray for those in here this morning that have never made that commitment, that have never given their lives over to Christ, but instead are living by their own agenda, their own will, their own goals, their own passions. They are still king of their life. Father, I pray that you will convict them this morning. That they will see what it means to follow you. Father, for me personally, and I think for many in this room, I plead for grace. For all the times that I have said I'm all in and then I have failed miserably to back that up. Father, I plead for grace. The blood of the cross. I plead for grace on this day to be able to take up my own cross to deny myself, to follow follow Jesus. And I pray for forgiveness for all the times that I have failed and all the times I will continue to fail. And I thank you that that grace is here for us. Father, we know we cannot do this alone. We humbly come before you and ask that you would give us the strength to do it. It's in Christ's name we pray.